came in like a missile, like a fireball missile across from the New York Harbor side, I guess from the north direction. It came in like a spear, just speared through the building like a fireball. I've never seen war up close, but today I have. It's just this sound, this rumble. This mass cloud coming at us. It's intense. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Um, as we continue on this, this evening with the seminar, praise God for the thoughts that he's been bringing forth so far. And I just want to say to those who are also watching, um, if, these, if you've been with us for the past few nights and these meetings have been a blessing to you as far as their health and, and the thoughts brought forth, please um, feel free to... to to share um, the link with others so that um, we can have others join because we believe that this is information that everyone in this world um, needs. And by the grace of God, we want to fulfill the, 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 the command of God to, to carry the gospel to, to those because those who understand the gospel knows that people are in need um, of a savior and they're in need of, they're in need of a God to help them in, in this world in which we live in. And as we continue with this, this prophecy seminar, um, looking into the, um, the events of past and the things taking place today and the things about to take place in the near future, especially concerning this city in which we're in, the city of New York. And I pray that by the time we get to the end of this seminar, um, what we hope is that we, will be, we hope that people will be motivated to leave the city of New York um, when, as we walk through the Bible, seeing why we should not be living in such an environment such as this one. But without um, any other additional things, let us open up with a, a silent word of prayer. Amen. All right. Uh, praise God for some of the thoughts that Val brought up with God being creator, um, that God made us and formed us in his image. And uh, as we go through this, we want to look at an aspect of God in creation in, in regards to what Swinton went over yesterday and it was on, for the past few days. And what he's been going over for the past few days is to develop a trust and a confidence in the word of God, that the word of God really is, is God's word, it's God's inspired word, it's God's will made known to man. If anyone wants to know what the will of God is for them, all they have to do is go into the scriptures and the Lord will, allow, will let them know if they desire to know the Lord's will. Because Christ says, any man will have to do of his will, he shall know. So the, the key to understanding the scripture is to be willing to do God's will. If we're willing to do his will, Jesus says, we shall know. 
If we're not willing to do His will, we shall not know. The opposite is also true. If we're not willing, we won't know. If we're willing, we will know. And so by the grace of God, I hope that um, as we go through this, um, these thoughts that are brought forth, these truths that are brought forth, will be. I hope will make us willing to do God's will so that we can know that we really are living in the end of the world. Because if we're not willing to do God's will, we won't know that we're living in the end of the world. And the end of the world will just come and go and pass us by. But there will come a time when we will wake up and realize we're living in the end of the world. We will then know then, and then we will want to do God's will then, but it will be too late then to do God's will. So the Lord wants us to know his will now before a certain thing comes upon us so that we will be able to escape that thing that is coming just like the flood. Just like the fire in Sodom and Gomorrah, just like the destruction of Egypt, just like the destruction of Babylon, just like the destruction of Jerusalem, just like the destruction in the 1260. God is the same in every single, in every single history, in every single generation. He's not going to deal with us any differently at the end of the world. Everyone had to escape the destruction that was coming in the time they lived, and, and they have, we all have to escape that destruction the same way. And the way we escape is by preaching. That's how we escape, by preaching. God always sends somebody to preach, and those who believe the preaching will escape that which the preacher said is coming. And if any man will to do God's will at that time, the Lord will let them know that that thing really is coming. So the other night, Swinnon went over history, and I love the definition brought forth. Uh, one of them is history is to know. That's it, just to know. That's it. History is to know. To know what? What, do we, what does God want us to know about history? What does anybody think the Lord wants us to know? How he has worked in the past. How he has worked in the past. And what I didn't hear the other one. Where he's leading us. Where he's leading us. But the ultimate reason is to know him. That's it. Mm -hmm. History is given that we might know God. God has chosen history as the method to reveal himself to humanity that he, he is God and that there's none like him in all of history. In all of the world, there's none like him. And this we want to we look into. Um, Swinon went over that prophecy, showing that prophecy means history or prediction or history in advance. Well, what's, the Bible gives us this prophecy. Um, what is the difference? The story of Moses and the story of Abraham, they recorded historical facts. Abraham really, uh, there was a man named Abraham who came out of Ur. There was a man named Moses who delivered people from, from Egypt. There was a Daniel who lived in the time of Babylon. And there was a man named Jesus who lived in a certain time in the history of this world. But all of that is historical facts for those who believe the inspiration of the Bible. Those who believe the recorded facts of the Bible, well, um, the Lord will give them power to live, to live in their day and in the history in which they live to live a, a noble or a righteous life just like those men in which I just mentioned. But when I call it a prophecy, I, I, make it, I put something different upon the scripture. And the difference I put up on the scripture, once I say it's a prophecy, what I'm saying is, is that the story of Moses is a prediction of something to come. The story of Moses is telling me something in advance of the thing coming. Moses was a deliverer. He delivered men from Egypt. What was he predicting? That one day God was going to send his son to deliver people from Egypt, from sin, from bondage. That's what Moses' story was telling me. And the story of Abraham. Abraham had his only son. And God told Abraham, sacrifice your only son. That's a historical thing that actually took place in history. 
And in that story, it's also a prophecy. It's a, because it was predicting that the father was going to send his only begotten son. He was the only one like him. And the Lord had to take the life of his son like he commanded Abraham to take the life of his son, which was only to serve as an allegory or an illustration of what the father and the son was going to do in a certain point in the history of the world. That's what prophecy is. Prophecy is predicting something that's going to come. So all the stories of the Bible are prophecies. They're just predicting something that's going to come in the future. And how are we to understand it? And how do I know that the Lord can do that? If I go back 50 years, just 50 years, to the time period of my grandma, my grandma, um, my, my mother's mother is bound to the same law that I'm bound to. If I go back 100 years or 200 years, George Washington is bound to the same law I'm bound to. If I go back 2,000 years, whoever was back then was bound to the same law I'm bound to. If I go back 4,000 years, 5,000 years, 6,000 years, everyone back then is bound to the same law we're bound to. So what does that mean? There really is no new thing under the sun. If we're all bound by the same law, then we're all going to make the same decision based on the same law. Then we're going to produce the same history. It doesn't matter what time I live in. I'm going to produce, if I, eat from, if I eat the wrong thing, what happened to Adam and Eve is going to happen to me. If I commit adultery like David, what happened to him is going to happen to me. If I steal like Jacob, stealing something that doesn't belong to me, what happened to him is going to happen to me. There's no new thing under the sun. So the history of the past, is we're only reliving them by the choices we make based upon the knowledge we have in regards to law. Everyone on this planet is bound to law, and everyone makes their decision based upon the law. Either they're going to obey it, or they're going to disobey it, and by obeying it, you're creating a history. And by disobeying it, you're creating a history. But because it's the same law, you can only produce the same thing. Is everyone following? No. So it doesn't really matter what time you live in. It doesn't matter that there's cars, and there's boats, and there's horses, and planes. You can only break or keep a law with the car, the boat, and the plane. And you can, you're going to do the same thing in, in one time as was done in another time. That's why the Bible can give us a record, an accurate record of what's going to happen in the future. People who hold people in bondage, God is going to send someone like Moses to deliver them from out of that bondage. He's going to do that because that's the God in whom we serve. He's not going to leave people in bondage if they cry out to him like Israel did. If we don't cry out, the Lord can't help us. So let us go into our note. We just wanted to go through that just to add to that historical thing. That's when it went over. Let's look at our note. Created. Uh, a beautiful verse, Isaiah 45, 7. It says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace. I make peace. Um, sorry, that, that little thing shouldn't be there. I make peace and create and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. You know, I had a grand, my grandfather <coughs> who passed. He used to take this verse and say, see, God does evil things because it says I create evil and I make peace. See, God created evil. And I'm like, that's not what that text is saying. You have a you have a misunderstanding of what the text is saying. And the reason for your misunderstanding is because you don't know what the word create means. If you know what create means, then you won't have a misunderstanding. Create simple means one of his meaning is to cause to be. So let's read it without understanding. I form the light and cause, and cause to be darkness. I make peace and cause to be evil. Does that change his things? Yeah. It should. Because the evil can't be unless God cause it to be. 
Good can't come unless the Lord says the good can come. He's not creating it. He's causing it to come. Well, why is he causing it to come? If you do good, good comes. But if you do evil, what comes? Evil comes. So the Lord will cause the evil to come like he did with Jacob. He caused evil to come upon Jacob because he stole his brother's birthright. So the evil came. The Lord didn't prevent the evil. He caused it to come. So let us continue. So the Lord causes good history to come and he causes bad history to come. The point is the Lord is trying to show us that he's the author of all history, be it good or be it evil, meaning he causes it to be. He causes good to be and he causes evil to be, but it's all based upon decisions that you and I make. Okay, so we have in it to create, it's a cause to be. God causes to be good history or evil history. No history can be or exist without God. God created man to share with him in, in history. God gave man the power to choose which history he wants to create or cause to be. He set before Adam a history of life and eternal good or a history of good and evil, one of life and sorrow and suffering and then ending in death. What history did man cause to be by choosing his course? And we're not going to read Genesis 2 as it's gone over a few times. The Lord commanded Adam. He said, of every tree of the garden, including the tree of life, you may, thou mayest freely eat. But he said, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou mayest not eat. For the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Right there, Adam had a choice of which history he wanted to give the human family. He can either give the human family a history of bliss and eternal peace, or he can give the human family a history of good and evil. Which one did he choose? He chose the history of good and evil for the human family. So because of that choice, the human family has good. What's good? Life. The human family will still have life, but he will also eat the evil. He will suffer in sorrow, and eventually he'll die. That's the history God, Adam, has chosen for the human family. But praise God. God didn't leave man doomed to that history because the Lord cut off man from eating from the tree of life, meaning what he wanted to impress upon our minds. This history has an end. This life of good and evil will come to an end. But before it comes to an end, I'm going to change the course of history for man. I'm going to send my son to deliver man from a life of good and evil and to give man a second opportunity to have a life of eternal bliss. That's why I'm going to send my son to deliver men from this miserable course of history that our first parents chose. But we can only have that life if we choose Christ. If we don't choose Christ, we can't have that better. You see, this history is already done. It's, it's, this history, it is what it is because of Adam. You can't change it. Everyone must live, suffer, sorrow, die. That's it. We can't change this course of history. This is the lot for everyone in this world. And the Bible is the only place where we have an accurate knowledge of this life in which we live now. That this life is really given to us to choose Christ. There's a history outside of man that we don't know. And that history is that God sent his son a long time ago. And that right now there's a day of atonement taking place that the whole world is unconscious of. They're unconscious of a divine history actually taking place that's deciding their eternal destiny. And the purpose of the gospel is to make man know that there's another history outside of, this, outside of this common history, which we're all bound to. We're all bound to live, suffer, and die. But there's another history, there's another promise given to us that we're going to live and never suffer and never die. But this life is given to us to make that eternal choice and decision right now. Amen. And based upon how we live in history today, 
we're making the decision for, the, for, that, for that choice later. But before we get that reward, Christ is going to judge us on how we lived in the history that our first parents already chose for us. We're already condemned to die. We can't change it, but we can receive Christ and escape the final penalty that's going to come. This is, this is the difference that we, that we have with this. So let's go on. One, another thing that we see in the beginning, the early history of the Bible, is that God decides what's good and bad. The Lord says you can eat this and you can't eat that. So history tells me that God is the one that sets the bounds for man. That the bounds has already been determined for man. It doesn't matter what time man lives in, there is a limit for him. There's a boundary he cannot cross. And if he cross that boundary, he's going to suffer the same consequences for crossing that boundary. And this is why the Bible was given to us so that we can know the bounds we can cross and the bounds we shouldn't go. We know the, we know the limit we can go to and we know where we cannot go. But one of the most important things that the Lord put in history for every generation that will ever come is this. Appetite is the biggest thing that's going to cause people to ignore the history of the Bible. Appetite. Appetite. That's what the Lord, that's what Sister Val's going over. How we treat the temple based upon food, it determines how we're going to understand history. Amen. If we eat the wrong food, we're going to have a wrong understanding of history. Daniel shows me, like Swindon was going over, if we eat the right food, proper understanding of history. And, amen, history is prophecy. Amen. I'm saying that with us already understanding that. History is prophecy, but I agree with him. And said, when we say prophecy, we mean that the story recorded in the Bible, those natural real stories, they're also predicting something in advance. That's when we say prophecy, that's really what we're saying. It just means that the story of Abraham, the story of Moses, the story of Sodom is predicting something to come. Why? Because men is making the same choices that the Sodomites made, that the antediluvians made. So therefore, the Lord's going to bring the same consequences and punishment, but worse. Because man have a knowledge of what not to do and what to do. And an they, they, have a, they have a what? They have an example. But even with all the examples before them, they still choose the same path that the Sodomites chose. There's no new law under the sun. Everyone's bound to the same law. But because our first parents chose disobedience, man has no power to obey. Absolutely no power to obey. Christ came to give men the power to obey God's law. That's what Christ, that's why we have to be acquainted with that history. That of all the history in the history of the world is the history of Christ that men need to be acquainted with. A knowledge of that history gives us a knowledge to overcome sin, Amen. to overcome sin in this life. That's why Satan spends so much effort to try to erase that knowledge of history from men's mind. Because to be acquainted with the history of Christ is to be acquainted with the deliverance from sin. And that's what we want. So let's look at that. But we got to have faith in all of these things. We got to have faith. So we want to make this as simple as we can. And as we go, because we're going to develop uh, every night, we're going to develop by the grace of God. And I pray that we hear God's voice as we develop these studies and as we go along. So what is faith? Let's look into the Bible and see what faith is and why do we need it. Jesus says in Luke 18, verse 8, when the Son of Man cometh, Shall he find faith on the earth? Well, what is faith? What is Jesus looking for when he come? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It consists of two things, something that you hope for and having evidence for the thing you didn't see. That's what faith is. If we don't have something to hope for 
and if we don't have evidence for what we hope for, we don't have faith. In order to hope for something, you need evidence to hope for the thing. If you don't have no evidence, why are you hoping for it? What does everybody in this planet hope for? Even, the, even a person who wants to commit suicide hopes for this. What does he hope for? A better, a better life. Every single human being on this planet hopes for a better life. They can hide it all they want. Every one of us want a better life. But we're bound to the condemnation that's already in this life. Adam chose good and evil. This life consists of good and evil. But there is a better life. It's promised to those who make right use of the present life. If we make right use of this present life, Christ promises a better life. But that better life only comes to those who have faith. But in order to have faith, I need evidence for that thing which I hope for, a better life. I need evidence for it. If I don't have any evidence, then why am I hoping for that life? So let us see. Let's see what else it means. Jump down to Hebrews. Let's look at what Paul, Paul continues with Hebrews. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he what? He that he is. Okay. So without faith, I can't please God. It's impossible, Paul says. So without something to hope for and without evidence for what I hope for, I can't please God. This is so plain. In order to please God, I need hope. And in order to please God, I need evidence for my hope. God is not pleased if I don't have any evidence for what I hope for. Why do you get hope for it? If you don't have no evidence for it, you're not going to get it. So then where do I go to get evidence? Where do I go to get evidence for what I hope? I hope for a better life. So is there anything in this world that promises man a better life? Ah, the Bible. Okay, so now the Bible is on trial. Now the Bible must supply me with evidence so that I can live in that hope. And then in that way, I please God. So now the Bible's on trial to prove to us that it really is the word of God. So what method did God choose to prove to men to convince them that the Bible really is the inspired word of God? Prophecy and history. History is what God has chosen to prove to us that the Bible really is the word of God. Just take the Bible and take your life. Compare your life, your decisions and choices, and find stories in the Bible that matches your decisions and choices and see if your life don't match what's written in the Bible. That's one of the strongest evidence that the Bible really is the word of God. It's an accurate record of you. Not of Abraham, of you. The choice Lot made is what we make. The choice what Esau made is what many make. The choice what Cain made is what many's making. The choice Abel made is what many's making. Is everyone following? Amen. It's a record of us. That's, that's what it is. We're all subject to the same thing. You saying something, Swindon? Okay. Romans 10. So how do we get faith? How do we get evidence? I, I love the answer to the Bible. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? This is the, one of the most important part. How shall they preach except they be what? Every preacher must be sent. And we must have evidence of their sending. If we don't have evidence of their sending, why do we believe them? Why do we believe them? 
God will never send a preacher without evidence. That's what Paul is going to say in, the, in these next verses. Here he goes. And it, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed. This is the important part. Obeyed the gospel. For Esaias said, Lord, who have believed our report? So then, faith. So then, evidence. So then, hope cometh by hearing, and hearing by the what? But how shall they have faith and hope without a what? Preacher. How are we going to have faith and hope without a preacher? How? How are we going to have it? All right, let us continue. So, so the gospel of God gives us something to hope for, and the gospel of God is the evidence of that which we hope for. Every man, every man woman, and child hopes for life, but death stands in his way. We all want life, but all we see is death. Everyone borns, suffers, and dies. Death is a portion to everyone on this planet. But Christ promises everyone, God promises everyone, a life after this one. And the easiest way to convince people that there's a life after this one, the Bible does it this way. It calls death a sleep. That's what the Bible calls death, a sleep. And then Jesus says, Lazarus sleepeth, but I go to what? Wake him. To what? What did Christ wake him to? Life. To life. So every time I go to sleep, the Lord is preaching the gospel to me. Because when I wake up in the morning, it's a new day, meaning a new life. I have another opportunity to go right or go left. Every time we sleep and wake up, the gospel is being preached to us. Every time. And the Lord is trying to tell people, when you die, there is a resurrection. When you live this life and you die, there is a Every time you go to bed at night and you wake up in the morning, the Lord is reminding you, one day you're going to die and you're going to wake up in the morning. And you're going to receive your reward for how you lived in the life before you die. So there's a decision that we must make before we die. Because we must have our house in order before we sleep. Because we don't know if this is the last night we'll sleep. We don't know. We literally must have our house in order before we go to bed. The Bible says, let not the sun go down on your what? On your wrath. Make sure everything is right with your wife and your children. Make sure it's right. Because you don't know if you're, you're going to wake up in the morning. That's why the scriptures can say, don't let the sun go down. You might not wake up to ask for forgiveness. And that's the state you died in, so that's the state you will wake in. So every night the gospel is being preached to us. Every single night and morning, God's preaching the gospel. One day you'll die, and you're going to have to face me in the morning because you face the sun in the morning. So one day you're going to stand before the judgment seat before the Son of God. That's what it's teaching us every single night. So what gives us the best, what gives us the best evidence? So God wants us to have faith. He wants us to have something to hope for, and he wants us to have evidence for what we hope for. So what in the Bible is going to give us the best evidence, the best historical record, the best historical evidence so that we can have strong faith and a strong hope for that which we desire? The life of Christ. The history of Christ is the strongest evidence that proves that the Bible is really the word of God. That's the history that God wants everyone on this planet to pay attention to, the history of Christ. And God makes sure so many things took place in Christ's history that it will be impossible to erase it from the record of Rome, from the record of the papacy, and from the record of the United States of America. Everything Christ did is stamped in the Roman Empire. 
Everything Christ did is stamped in the papal empire. And everything Christ did is stamped in American history. The Constitution was written based upon the Bible. Many people don't know that. The Constitution was written based upon Roger Williams' idea of civil and religious liberty. He based the Constitution on the ideas of Jesus Christ. So the, United, the history of the United States is supported by the history of Jesus Christ. To show you can't deny it. You can't deny it. You can run from it all you want, but the history of America, America exists because Christ existed. That's why America exists, so that the world can learn about Christ. America's purpose is to teach the world about Christ in its very existence. They can go far away from it all they want, but the Lord is going to bring them right back to it. So let's go on. Our wages. So as we said, Adam and Eve, they made the wrong choice. But nonetheless, what Satan meant for evil, God, is going to, God turned it to good. Christ came and covered Adam's choice. But let us continue. Romans 6.23. How are we going to get this better life? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I skip one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In order to receive life, we need to receive from God our wages. What's the wages of sin? Death. It's death. But so in order to get life, we have to first receive our wage of death. We, we, have to, we have to pay God for what we did in this life before we can get it. But can any of us pay it? No, no we can't pay it. We can't pay that life. Well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Um, but before we do that, I skipped another one, too. And, and it's, um, let me see if I skipped it. Yes, I skipped, I skipped this. This is from, no, I didn't skip. Romans, Romans. Okay, no, it's all right. Genesis 22, I didn't skip it. Yeah, I didn't skip it. Genesis 22. Um, here's what God does for us. Since we, can't pay, since we can't pay for what we did and received the life, the Lord says, and they, so let's look at the prophecy of Abraham now. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. There's our payment right there. So God revealed to Abraham that I'm going to provide a lamb for Isaac. Isaac was you and I. We were destined to die. But Isaac said, Abraham, there's the fire, there's the wood, but where's the sacrifice? My son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. This story was written to convince us that, Christ, that God sent his son as a sacrifice for you and I. And in this, we're to exercise his faith. Luke 2 to answer um, what Abraham said to Isaac. I'm going to just read the bowl. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Matthew 1. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. John 1. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Does anyone notice um, the, this verse and the last verse, there's two differences. Does anyone notice it? This, 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 it said, even though Jesus is the Savior, he's going to save us from our sins. But John says he takes away the sin of the world. Does anyone notice that difference? 
What is it? It's about sin that that first man made. Amen. And then all the sins in which man now now who lives make as Amen. Praise God. So he's going to take away original sin and our personal sins. And it's right there. He's going to take away the sin of the world. Well, what's the sin of the world? We need to understand that. We need to understand what's the sin of the world and how he takes away the sin of the world. Because in seeing how he takes away the sin of the world, he'll take away our sin. If we don't see how he takes away the sin of the world, then we have no evidence of how God's going to take away our sin. We don't have no evidence for it. Um, and I, I did miss one. There is a point, and it was this. Uh, maybe later on I'll bring it in. Um, but let's look at what sin is. Let's look at the testimony of what sin is. Whosoever committed sin transgressed also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. That word transgression is a beautiful word. I, I never understood what it means until I look it up. And one of its meaning, it means to cross over or go beyond law. That's what transgression means. To, one of its meaning, to cross over or go beyond law. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they crossed over beyond law. They went beyond the bound that God set. So in order to rescue you and I from sin, Christ needs to cross over the bound back. He needs to go back over the bound that they cross. But how do you get back over? How do they get over the bound? Disobedience. So how's Christ going to get back over? Obedience. obedience. The only way back over is obedience. But how can you obey if you're born disobedient? That's why God needed to provide a lamb. He needs to provide a lamb, a perfect lamb from his beginning, so that way can be made for man to cross back over. So how does man cross over? The cross. The Lord laid the cross over the gulf of sin and death so that we can cross over that huge chasm that Adam and Eve made. It's a huge chasm. And no one can cross over once they cross that boundary line of obedience and disobedience. That's what transgression means. One of his meaning to sin is to cross over the bounds that God has set. What bounds has God has set? Remember the Sabbath day. Well, what's the man of sin going to do? Make people cross over that bound. And once America cross over that bound, can she come back? No, nah, she can't come back. America can't come. Why? Why can't she come back? Because she would need a lamb. She would need a lamb. Amen. Amen. Romans 5.12. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. There it is. That's the sin that Christ took away. By one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Um, and Genesis 2, I have in there, and the Lord God commanded the man. There's the bond that the Lord set, but the man did not obey that bond. The man crossed over. Because when you go to Genesis 3 and verse 11, because we're familiar with the, the history of Adam, um, I'm just going to these portions, but the history of Adam is also a prophecy. It's also predicting the, the existence of every man that has lived upon this earth. Man, ever since the fall, man has just been crossing over the bound that the Lord has set for them, whether it be appetite, whether it be worship, whether it be marriage, whether it be idols, whether it be adultery, whether it be stealing. Man just keeps crossing the bound every single generation. And Satan has people deceived, making them think that every new generation is advancing in holiness. But they're actually getting worse as Val was going over. They're just vandalizing the body God has given them. The whole, the man's entire existence is just breaking down the body God has given him. 
But the Lord always have a people that's holding up the body that he's given them. Daniel shows us that God always have a people in the world. No matter what history they live in, Daniel living in Babylon is just only an example of God's people living in whatever nation they're living in, that they're living by the laws that the Lord has set. It doesn't matter whether it be in Babylon or the Medes and the Persians or in Egypt or in Assyria or China or Germany or Japan or the United States. God has a people who's not crossing over the bounds that he has set. He always has a people. The Bible tells me the Lord always has a people in the history of the world who's not crossing the bounds. They're never crossing it. The Lord has some Enoch's and he has some Daniel's and he has some Job who are not crossing the bounds. Why? Because they believe the evidence that God has sent his son to deliver them from their sins. They believe it and they live by it. They hope for the better life and they have evidence for why they hope for the better life. The evidence for Abraham was in Isaac. Because Isaac was born by promise. The Bible says Sarah's womb was dead. So it was a miracle that Isaac was even born. So Abraham learned that God is able to give life to something that's dead. So Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac's life. He believed that God is able to raise him from the dead. Why? Because he saw that God rose Sarah's womb from the dead. This is what Paul said. So Abraham had evidence for taking Isaac's life. He didn't just go do it without evidence. God never asks us to do something without first supplying us the evidence, for, um, the evidence before he asks us to do it. He never does. Never does. If the Lord's going to ask us to do something, there's evidence for what he's asking for us to do. But we must exercise faith in this evidence. God will never test somebody without first supplying them with the evidence they need in order to pass the test. So Adam and Eve, so the Lord says in Genesis 3.11, has thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Or has thou crossed over the bounds that I said you shouldn't cross over? And Adam crossed over. Okay, so because of that, the entire human family is now destined to die. The Bible says, the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And this is a beautiful truth the Lord has brought to our attention, that that word, it, 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 the Lord placed it the way he placed it when he translated the Bible. But the Lord has hit a wonderful meaning in there. That word, thou, the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And one of his meaning is, in dying, thou shalt die. It, it helps us to understand why Adam didn't naturally die that day. Because that's not the route Adam chose. Adam chose a life of good and evil. So he has to live out that life of good and evil. And in dying, while he's living out that life, he will surely die. That's what the Lord told him. The day you eat thereof, in dying, you shall die. But the same promise was, thou mayest freely eat. And it reads, in eating, thou shalt eat. So if Adam kept eating from the tree of life, he would have eat his way into eternal life. But, he, but there was a day that he stopped and decided to eat from the other tree, and death set in. And he can't cross back over. Once you cross that bound, he can't come back. Because the law says, the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So the only way to come back is to come back from death. So we need somebody who has the power to die and at the same time come back from death. We need somebody that can cross the boundary of death. Because the law of death is, you should not come back. So we need somebody who has power stronger than death and can come back. Well, who is that? His name is Jesus. Amen. That's his name. He's the one that has the power 
Why does he have the power? Let's go on. Let's see why he has the power. Romans, Romans 6. Jump down with me to the bow. It says, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. I love this. The way Christ took away sins is by being obedient. Sin is taken away every time we obey. Every time we disobey, we strengthen sin and take away righteousness. Every time we obey, we strengthen righteousness and God takes away unrighteousness. This is how sin is taken away. It's so easy. Just obey and God will take away your sins. Disobey and God will put sin on you. God will add to your sins. This, this is the life we have to live as we live in this world. But how can we obey or do the right without power? Let us continue. Um, we must be born again. Um, sin is taken away as we obey. But what must man obey in order to have their sins taken away? But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? If we don't believe this report that God sent his son, God can't take away our sins. Now we're, now we're going somewhere with this, with this gospel. Let's go on. We show, we show our belief or faith in God by obeying the gospel that comes from God, by accepting the evidence or, his, or, or history that God caused to be. There's a history that God has caused to be in the human race, and all who believes that history will have their sins taken away. But all who does not believe that history or shows no faith in that history can't have their sins taken away. All right. So I want to introduce this thought now. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Satan doesn't care if someone say they believe in Christ. He doesn't care. We can say we believe in Christ, but if we don't have no evidence for why we believe in Christ, do we really believe in Christ? No, no we don't really believe in him. And Satan knows that. If we have no evidence for why we believe in the Christ of the Bible, then we don't really believe in the Christ of the Bible. We have to have evidence why we believe that history, that that's the history that God sent his son. The Jews are still looking for the history of God sending his son. They don't believe that history. So therefore, they can't receive the benefits of the God of that history. So if we don't believe that history, the same thing that happened to the Jews will happen to us. They can't be benefited by it because they didn't believe in it. And then you have some Christians who do believe in it, but they have no evidence for it. So either way, Satan gets you. He gets you either way. We have to have evidence for why we believe what we believe. Let's look at John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. Jump down to the next one. So John was sent that men might believe. And what was John sent, sent doing? Preaching the word of God. 
But as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Everyone who preaches the gospel must have been sent by God, or he's no minister at all. What is the gospel? Well, let's let the Bible tell us what the gospel is. Mark 1.14. Now, after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying, and saying, all right, so we'll stop here. Not the meeting, just this reading. Whatever Jesus says from this point on, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. And if anyone preaches anything other than what Jesus says, is that the gospel? No, that's not the gospel. So whatever words are about to come out of Jesus' mouth, that's what we have to believe in. That. And those who believe that historical record that God, that God, um, that God gave of his son, the Lord's going to give them power to become his sons because they believe the record that God sent his son by the evidence that he supplied to give them hope in the better life that's promised to them. So let us continue. Here's what Jesus says and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Whatever the gospel is, it's connected to time. Whatever, whatever that time is, that's the gospel. And all that it teaches, we must believe if we want to be saved from our sins, whose, wa whose wages is death. So John 8, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. So is it life or death to believe the gospel? Amen. It's life or death. Satan don't care if you say you believe in Christ. If you don't have evidence for that Christ, you don't believe in Christ. You believe in a Christ, but not the Christ. To believe in Christ is to recognize the history that Christ came in and fulfilled a prophecy that was prophesied of him. That's what it means to believe in Christ. To believe the history that the Bible records that Christ came to fulfill the promise that was laid out in Genesis chapter 315. We have to believe that record, that history. So how, is, how are we to believe a history that's already passed? Amen. So we need a knowledge of Adam's fall. We need to know why we, we need a savior. And a knowledge of Adam's fall is designed to teach us why we need a savior. Every day we live showing the fruits of Adam's fall. Every day. We show life and death in our living. We have diseases. We suffer. We, we're born. A child is born today. He grows up. He comes to a point in his life where disease takes him. Now he's suffering and then he dies. This is the fruit of Adam's decision. This is not the, the death that Christ died to, 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 to deliver us from. We're all subject to this. The death that Christ desires to save us from is the one that's yet future. That one, that's the one he wants to save us from. But as long as we're in this life, God will take care of us. He'll provide for us so that we can do the best thing we can in this life in preparation for the life to come. And it says in saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Now we're coming down to this part, and it's this. When Jesus said these words, that the time is fulfilled, repent ye and believe the gospel, there was no New Testament. When Christ walked on the earth with the disciples, there was no New Testament. This part is very important. A lot of people miss this part, and a lot of, a lot of religious institutions deny this part, actually. 
And the part that I'm going into, there was no New Testament. When Jesus says, except you believe that I am he, he shall die in your sins. When Jesus says the time is fulfilled, repent ye and believe the gospel, there was no New Testament. There was none. So automatically the New Testament is put down for what we're about to say because it didn't exist at that time. Jesus was the New Testament. He was carrying out the promises of the Old Testament and writing the history of the New Testament. But the disciples couldn't write it until he was finished doing that work on earth. Then the disciples can take up the work of writing that God did send his son. And the New Testament is the record that God did send his son. And the New Testament is the record that it was a fulfillment of the Old Testament. So whatever the time that was fulfilled, it has to be found in the Old Testament. That's the point I want to get. Whatever that time is. So that means the gospel is the Old Testament. That's what we want to get to. The gospel is in the Old Testament. The New Testament is only a revelation of the gospel that was preached in the Old Testament. And if you go from Malachi all the way back to the book of Hosea, and anyone can do this and test this and try it, if you please, you can read the book from Hosea to Malachi. You will find no time, a prophecy of no time, that was to be fulfilled, pointing to, to Christ's coming. No time. You won't find one. You can read your Bible from Genesis to Ezekiel, and you won't find a predicted time of, 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 of a coming Savior. You won't find a time prophecy saying that a Savior was going to come to save people from their sins and that he was going to die. You won't find a time prophecy saying that. The only book in the entire Old Testament that has a time that predicted when Christ was going to get baptized, that predicted when he was going to die, and that predicted when he was going to start his ministry in heaven is found in the book of Daniel. So by virtually, when Christ says, repent ye and believe the gospel, he's saying, repent and believe the prophecy of Daniel. That's what he's saying. Repent and believe the record of Daniel. That's what Christ was saying. That's the only book in all of the Bible that God has highlighted for us at the end of the world. Why am I saying that? The whole Bible teaches us to fear God. The whole Bible teaches us to give glory to God, does it not? The whole Bible teaches us to worship God. Because why, why should we worship God? It says why? Because he has made it. Worship God. Um, him that, that made heaven and earth and created all things. The reason for worshiping God is because he's creator. What does that mean? Because we worship God because he causes things to be. So all who worship God, the Lord will cause to be the desire that he has placed in their heart. And what do they desire? A better life. So the Lord will cause to be a history giving us a better life if we worship him. But how do we worship him? By believing the record that he sent his son. Well, where do we go to find the record? The book of Daniel. So the prophecy of Daniel gives us the best evidences that God has sent his son to die, rise, and give us the better life. That's what Daniel teaches us. So we're going to stop here for this evening, and by the grace of God, we're going to go through the book of Daniel a little bit um, in the next presentation. We just wanted to set the state. Daniel, in that book, is the prophecy of life, of eternal life, for those who believe it. In that book is where we find eternal life for us, in that prophecy. And unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. That's what Val was talking about in regards to help, the cleansing of the temple. And in the book of Daniel, this is what we find, the cleansing of the temple, the cleansing of the temple of man. And this image that's on this chart, this man, 
The Lord wants to show us how he wants to cleanse us from all these idols that man has took on himself throughout the history of the world. Throughout the history of the entire world, people have the ideas of Babylon. They have the ideas of the Medes and the Persians. They have the ideas of Greece. They have the ideas of Rome. They have the ideas of Papal Rome. But many don't have the ideas of Christ. The ideas of Christ is what delivers us from the sins that these people has introduced. Why? Because Babylon ate from the tree, they died. The Medes and the Persians ate from the tree God says don't eat from, they died. Greece ate from the tree God says don't eat from, they died. Rome ate from the tree that God says don't eat from, Rome died. So, if they all died, all these nations died, Babylon died, the Medes and the Persians died, Greece died, Rome died, the papacy died. What does that say about the United States? What does that say about the United States? Is, amen. Is the United States going to die? But what's the reason for the death of anyone? Simply not believing the gospel. That's it. What, what is it? And what is the disobedience? Not believing the gospel. Paul, Paul says, who have, who have obeyed the um, who have believed our report. They have not all obeyed the gospel. Babylon didn't obey the gospel. Daniel 2. The Medes and the Persians didn't obey the gospel. Daniel 2. Greece didn't obey the gospel. Daniel 2. Rome didn't obey the gospel. Daniel 2. God says this is the record that he sent in his son. Right here. Babylon didn't believe. They made a golden image. The Medes and the Persians didn't believe. Greece didn't believe and Rome didn't believe. They crucified Christ. They crucified the one that God has sent to take away the sin of the world and to take away their sins. And by the grace of God, may we not crucify him this evening. May we believe the gospel and the record that God did send his son. And we'll stop here. And by his mercies, as the Lord gives us breath, we'll continue to, to give some more evidence of the record that he did send his son. Let us close out with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you, O Lord, for the record in which you've left us. And that record, O Lord, you've protected, you've preserved, even the Bible, O Lord. Um, you've left us the Bible, the spirit of prophecy, and all of these wonderful gifts. And one of the strongest evidence that the Bible is the word of God is nature. You've preserved nature to testify of your creative power. We still have the benefits of the sun. We still have the benefits of water. We still have the benefits of air. And Lord, the Bible says one day, the sun will be taken from us, air will be taken from us, water will be taken from us, food will be taken from us. One day this planet in its present state must die. But Jesus died to take away the sin of this planet. But before men can inherit the benefits that, that, that's given to those who believe the record that God sent his son, you must destroy sin. You must destroy all, all the record of sin. You must destroy it all, O oh Lord. All the tears and everyone that did not believe the gospel must be first removed from this earth before we can have that better life that's promised to those who believe the record that God did send His Son. Please may we leave here tonight, O oh Lord, believing that record. And if we don't believe that record, help us to search the Scriptures, O oh Lord, that we might have the evidence and, and might have that hope, that, that hope that's set before us, O oh Lord, and that we might have evidence for that hope. For in having evidence for that hope, in this we please God. So please be with us. Please bless us. Please forgive us of our sins. And may you create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.